Right. And right now we're in such a polarized situation. But, you know, I think at some point you have to take responsibility for your own choices, decision, decisions and your actions. And uh, again, I go back to, to what happens at home. And I think it all starts right there. Uh, that's where it started for me. And in our house, I mean, we, we always I, I instructed the boys early. I said, when you meet somebody, the first thing out of your mouth is, how are you today? You put the first foot forward. How are you doing today? And, and, and you'd be amazed at how many people go, oh, wow, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Folks walk up. Where's my seat? I want to change my seat. How much does this cost? What is that? They don't even acknowledge the human being standing over there next to them, right? Always start with, how are you doing today? How's it going? On the phone. Hey, how, how are you doing today? Okay, great. And then we get into our questions. Just acknowledge somebody's humanity, the fact that they're there and they exist. And, if, and, and, and look, sometimes just by doing that, you know, it may show favor, but that's not the, that's not the point. It's just to acknowledge the other human being. And then they acknowledge you back, and now you started at least on the right foot. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the Global Scholar Practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Welcome to Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. Good day, everyone. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. I'm your host of the Dr. Mark Podcast on the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network. We are in studio with Innovation Media Enterprises located in City Central, North Dallas, and Addison. Big shout out to our partners, Asiya and Aaron, and Innovative Media Enterprises. They do a fantastic job. And we also got a great sound engineer here, AJ. But I got to give it up to the big boss out there. You know, you know who that guy is. You don't know Jacob Miles III. Yes, he's got a he's got a noble name, Jacob Miles III. Not the second, not the first, but the third. Shout out to him for giving me this wonderful opportunity. And it's funny because, you know, we're sitting here. Uh, a lot of times in podcasts, you have uh, no cameras. It's just you and the mic. But we got cameras here rolling. And uh, and for me, I'm sitting across a legend. And I was sitting here earlier. I'm not going to front and pretend that um that we, when I first started doing this and started announcing and talking talking a little bit about the introduction of the show, it was funny. I felt like I was in school because I have a pro across from me. And I'm like, okay, am I doing this right? And I'm, I'm okay because I'm like, he's like, no, just, you know, act like you're talking to, to a friend. And I'm like, yes, I'm talking to a friend, a, a new friend at that. And it's someone that I've admired for a long time. I'm not sure if you've ever had this in your life before. Someone that you've admired in your life, someone that you may have seen on TV, someone that you may have seen or heard on the radio or someone that you just admired, period. And then you get a chance that you grow up as you go into your career, you get a chance to actually work with that person or even confront that person. I got a chance to do both. I got a chance to meet someone, but also get a chance to work with them. And it's funny because he said, this feels strange. This feels different. And I'm thinking, why is he, what is he talking about? I mean, oh, I'm interviewing him because he interviews people for a living. So this is going to be interesting, interviewing someone that uh, interviews people for a living. And I get a chance to ask him some, some tough questions, but we're going to keep it light and have some fun with him. But he's someone who's iconic in the uh, television industry. He's a television uh, journalist, best known for his impeccable coverage of the Olympics. 10 winter and summer games this man's has covered, okay? He also was ho he's also currently the host 
on the on our network here called All In with Esports. He's covered college basketball, NBA, worked alongside legendary commentators such as Bob Costas. You know, Bob Costas, legendary voice, Brent Musburger. Oh, my God. I love listening to him. You know, when he called basketball games on CBS back in the day, Dick Vitale, one of my all-time favorites, and Bill Walton, and many others that we can talk about 25 years in the game. Please welcome Mr. Lewis Johnson to our show. Mark, thank you, man. That is that is an incredible introduction. Thank you so much. And uh, I am so happy for you. First of all, I'm excited that we're now going to be working together, yes. you know, onto this platform with uh, eSports. I am looking forward, and I've already learned so much from you about what's happening in this world. So this is cool, and I'm so glad to be uh, on your show. And yes, it is weird. Yeah. I'm on the other side of the table. Yeah, it's, it's funny watching you because I said I had on my my jacket earlier on. I had like a my alpha coat, my jacket on, just okay, casual. Okay, there we go. You already already uh, made a yeah, reference. Yes, yes. Now, I'm I had a Kappa to. man. You already you already threw one across the table. Huh? Look, look, look. I had to. I had okay. to. But, but it's all good. I love fighting new pie. I love Kappa Fasai. Right. And much respect. Much yeah. respect to yes. all the Alpha brothers. Eight, all right. Yes. Yo. Yes. There we go. My man. So what's the the funny part? You know, so he he dresses. He he's a great dresser. So I I cannot come in here in a t-shirt. And I had a t-shirt on. I said, we're about to take pictures in a little while. I said, let me go put on at least my vest. Yeah. Gotta look like, I got to look like I'm representing. And then on top of that, we were talking early. He said, man, you got the clone out? I'm like, yeah, I got, I oh, got, yeah. I got my million dollars right here. My million. Try, try this. Yeah, because AJ said he walked in. He's never heard. He's never smelled the podcast studio that smells so good. I said, well, thank you. It might be me. He goes, no, I don't know. And then I looked over and I see this. Not one. Yes, but two. But yeah. two. And Victus. And you know, that's what we had to learn, uh, <laughs> right. you know, Alpha. Yeah, Victus. we had to learn it as well. Yeah, Victus. Victus. Yes. Well, hold, hold on now. So I just happened to reach in my back because I don't go anywhere, anywhere without some cologne. Okay. All right? My wife will tell you, the kid boys will tell you to do the same thing. But I had to reach in there and pull out mine. And I do have the uh, the one with my name on the on the oh, box. You got that? Let me let me see. Let me you, see you that. that. Y'all yeah, gotta see this. He's got his name on his cologne <laughs> to make sure no one knows what it is. Let me, let me check it out. Let me check it out. Yeah. All right, hold on a second. So the reason I'm I'm like a frequent flyer with Sephora. All right. I got you know I got crazy miles on American Airlines. I got crazy Ooh. points with Sephora. Now I'm gonna tell no. you something. I'm about to let you in on a on a trade secret. Okay. Okay. Trade secret. So my 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 preferred cologne is Terre de Hermes. It's uh that's my that's the brand I love. And I love that one. And they have, they have one that has uh, vetiver in it. And vetiver is a very specific kind of a sweet smell that's really better for spring, but it can also work in the fall. But I'll, I'll mix the actual vetiver cologne, which came, which I get from Paris. And my sister-in-law always gives me that for a gift. It's perfect because I don't have to buy any. But I'll mix that with the Terre de Hermes that mm. has a little vetiver in it. So this is actually a mix. Wow. This is a hybrid cologne. and so, A hybrid cologne. Yeah, this is a hybrid right here. And since you done already sprayed yours on you, I got to make sure I get my, my no, stuff no, tightened back I, up. I, I want you to, you need to see, you know, because the Invictus is dope, man. Yeah. Now, so my, my, one of my boys uses this. Yeah. One of my nephews in Paris, Jeremy, uses this. This is this thing. And that's why they use it. They love that. Yeah. But this is awesome. And you got the travel size. Very yes, good. Yeah. Always got to do that. Yep. Yep. And then Invictus, I'm not familiar with it. But I'm sure it's nice. And with all this congestion, I'm not sure I'll smell. That's right. You won't be able to smell it. I yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little congested today. But the exactly. brother's still here. He showed up. So look, I, you you gonna leave your bottles on the table? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna leave mine in. Yeah, there we, we go. Yeah, but put it. Yeah, put it over here. So there we yeah. go. Yeah. All so right. This is how we get down here. So most of the time on podcast, <laughs> people don't talk about cologne. They don't talk about fashion and style. But because my man likes to dress, and he doesn't know this about me too, I like to dress too. So we're talking about shoes. Yes. Talking about yes. suits. Yes. We're talking about brands yeah. all the time. Because at some point. Because we looking dope and we smelling dope, 
we're going to have to get our own cologne. There you go. And, and our clothing line. And our clothing you know, line. Connected to esports. Absolutely. All that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. That's, that's, and you know I'm going to do this, right? Oh, the bo- oh, I'm, oh, oh, esports tie, both ties are coming. My man. Uh, that's what I'm talking coming. about. They're coming. And, and, and also the pocket square. Got to have that. Yeah. yeah Got to have that. See, he's always looking fresh and fly. Tell everybody, your wife, you know, she, what, tell everybody where your wife is from. My wife is in Paris. I met her when I was competing in track and field. So I went overseas in 88 after the 88 trials out the first round and a faithful conversation in a hotel lobby where a good friend of mine asked me what I was going to do. Said, I'm going back to the University of Cincinnati. Jacob Miles and I are, are both from there. i um, going to take a class. I'm an RA in the dorm, had it all set up. I said, what you going to do? And he pulled out this book, man, from the back of his backpack. And he had this, it was the IAAF guide to track and field in the, in the circuit. And so it was like, there were all these meets in Paris, Rome, Monte Carlo, you know, Via Reggio, Grosseto, Pisa, you know, all these big stadiums. Small. I said, what? I said, how do you do that? He said, well, at the other hotel across town, all the European meat promoters are there and uh, they're making deals with all the American agents. I said, let's go over there. We walked into the lobby. Mm-hmm. I promise you. He said, okay, that guy right there, he goes, that's Sandro Giovanelli. He has all the meats in Italy. I run most of my summer for him. Then he said, next to him is Wilfred Mirk. He's the guy from Brussels. And he has the big meat there in Brussels, the Memorial Van Damme. Mm-hmm. So I walked right over to him, beeline, and I started talking 100 miles an hour. Hey, my name is Lewis Johnson. I was here in the 800 meters, and I didn't went out the first round, but I'm sure I could do it. <laughs> they were like, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, stop, 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 stop. And they said, give me your phone number. So I gave both of them my number, and I, as I got, I walked away, and I thanked them. I said, Shh, man, they just blew me off. You know, I know what that was all about. So that was like a, a Wednesday, I think it was. I go back to UC, and the next Sunday morning, I don't know, Eight o'clock in the morning where I'm sleeping, my phone rings. And I go, hello, Louis Johnson? Yes. This is Wilfred Mill from Belgium. Yes, sir. He goes, do you have your ticket? I said, ticket for what? He said, you have a meet here in Brussels next week. I said, really? Uh, Where do I fly to? Brussels. Brussels. (laughs) (laughs) He left off the dummy part. But I had no idea. So I rustled up. And that was your friend. That was Ken Washington. Yeah, yeah, Ken Washington. Exactly, exactly. So I went overseas and uh, it was incredible. We went to this, I stayed with a family, Mm -hmm. went to the track a few days later and got on the the track in the middle of the woods with all these lights around and had disco music playing. I'll never forget it. Beer truck, little food tents, little small thing. And uh, I was running the 800 meters. I was rabbiting that. Rabbited that. And for people who don't know, rabbits are people who set the pace in the 800, 1500, 3000, 5000. So it's a very important job to set a particular tempo. Very tricky because oftentimes the meat promoter gives you a fast time he wants or fast split he wants you to run because he's trying to get the fastest time of the season or fastest time in the world. But you're also working for the athletes who are running. So you got to figure out how to balance that out. Anyway, I ran, I rabbited that race, came off the track and I saw him sitting over in the main grandstand, Mr. Meert. And I walked over to him like a son walking to see his father. I said, Mr. Meert, how did I do? He said, you did a good job. I'm going to help you run some more races. And so he helped me organize a few more. And then I hooked up with Ken Washington and my life went just like that. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. At a little bitty track where they were playing Donna Summer mm-hmm. in the middle of the summer <laughs> with the B- Belgian beer flowing and people were cheering and what have you. They introduced everybody in Flemish. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't understand anything. But it was just an incredible experience. And I was like inoculated mm-hmm. with this passion for traveling and culture and track and field was going to be the way. And so to go, get back to your original question, years later on the circuit, I walked into a meet uh, in Paris. Mm-hmm. It was before they built the big uh, Stade de France, which mm-hmm. you see right now, the big stadium. It was a small stadium. And I walked into that track and I was about to rabbit a 1500. And as I put my bag down right around the apron where they do the high jump, mm-hmm. I looked across the track at the top of the curve mm-hmm. and there was a lady standing. there. I saw her. I don't know why I saw her. I didn't see everybody else, but I saw her. Mm-hmm. And she said she saw me, but she said I looked ridiculous because I had on some <laughs> gloves and a cap because it was the middle of the summer. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to keep my heat in. I said, after the race, I'm going to go talk to her. 
walked over after the race, introduced myself. She kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I had a number pinned on the front of my right. thing. I said, can you unpin the one in the back? Turned around, she unpinned it. She gave it to me. I gave it back to her and she smiled. I said, that's it. Uh, <laughs> you knew. Went to go get my buddy. I said, we're going to go invite these two ladies to the post-event uh, dinner. Right. And uh, I realized quickly after I invited her down for something to eat, something to, she didn't speak any English. Mm. And the person who was doing the translating was my future sister-in-law. So um, wow. that was her sister. So yeah, so that's how we met on the circuit and the rest is history. So Did just, you know when you met you know, her? I did not know, no, but I knew I was interested. Just, just beautiful and there was something, so there was, there was a simplistic beauty about her and there was just, I was just intrigued. Right. I was intrigued. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was something. And I, and I had an opportunity to meet her and, and now she speaks English very well. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and she's an amazing artist as well. And it's Thank just, you. it's amazing that to see that you have uh, great kids and an amazing wife and, uh, and you love to travel, but let's, let's go back in time because uh, you, you didn't just always start off like this. You grew up in, uh, in Austin, Texas, yeah. and that kind of prepared you for, for your life, really. And you moved to Cincinnati when you were in high school, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Austin was a great place uh, to have that initial foundation with just great family and great guidance and great values being instilled early. Values of hard work, faith, values in believing in the best in people, values in looking out for those who were less fortunate and not just rubbernecking, but actually going to people. My grandmother was a teacher, Johnny Mae Cavanaugh. May she rest in peace. She was, that's my baby doll. Miss her so much, but she was a teacher in an elementary school in the Hispanic side of town. And they tried oftentimes to get her to move. And she said, no, my calling is to be right here. But not only was she a teacher of those elementary school kids, but she also connected with the families. Mm. We would sometimes get my grandfather's TV uh, truck. He was a TV repairman. He was out of the army and he repaired TVs and radios. And so we would get this truck sometimes on the weekend. And she's like, come on, baby, let's go. And so where are we going? So we go to the grocery store and get some food. We might go over here and get a mattress or whatever. And we pull up in, some, in front of somebody's house. Mm. And I said, what are you doing, mama? She says, come on, we got to go in here and, and deliver this stuff. And we open the door and maybe seven, eight, nine, ten people in this house. And she'd be delivering food. But one of those kids, and there was a student. Mm. And she said, the best way for me to be able to connect with them in the, in the classroom is to understand how they're living. Mm. So she would go to the homes and see them and be able to connect with the parent or what have you mm. and let them know that, you know, I'm here to help you in, in some kind of way that I can. Then she knew what the kid was dealing with in the classroom. And, and she became the person who, whenever there's a problem child or a situation, they always ended up in her, in her room because she knew how to take care of them. So I learned early on, by example, uh, not to be a rubbernecker in, in, this, in, this, in this experience of life. Don't stand by the road and go, wow, that's, that's terrible. That's awful. Go to people, mm. go to them. How can you get to them and try to offer some assistance? Even if it's a smile or a handshake or, you know, we can't hug anybody right now because of COVID, but go to people. And I saw that. Then she took another step when and the administration tried to stop her. She started opening the school up on Saturdays to bring the parents in, some of them who wanted to, to work wow. on their GED. Wow. She, it was, she was doing this education with the parents and they told her to stop. She goes, I'm not going to stop. And, wow. she, and she did that. And did she, now what was her education level? Uh, well, she went to college and graduated okay. with a teaching certificate. She okay. had a, an undergrad degree in that. But she, again, her, her education level was about life and about people. Wow. Um, she had all the qualifications to be in that classroom. But again, she brought those people in and she started, she called it community education. Mm. So she was reaching out to people. And see, those are the types of things that I think about as I've moved through my life and in my career. And then as we are here now at MAP Esports Network, we have a, an awesome opportunity to now make this esports thing something more than just playing games, right. but get into these communities and show these young people a way to now have a career, a lifestyle, a living in something that they love to do. So it's amazing how things, all the dots get connected through your life if you'll just kind of let them happen. 
and pay less attention to what's going on out there and kind of more attention to what's happening within you and with your experience. Amen. I, I, as, I, as you tell that story about your grandmother, I think about my grandmother. My yeah. grandmother, we lost her. She was 95. Lived yeah. a long life. Yeah, mine was in the 90s too. Yeah, remember I told you when I was on your show, you know, all in esports, we, <laughs> we, we talked about when I went back to college at William Patterson. And when I went back to college at William Patterson, I stayed with my grandmother, my mother's mother. Mm-hmm. And she was in her 70s at the time. It was interesting that she let me stay at her house. Mm-hmm. I took three buses and a train to get to school. And she would get up at five o'clock with me every mm-hmm. morning, wake me up, make grits, uh, make, uh, you know, turkey bacon because, you know, we didn't eat pork. And uh, she made grits, even though she was from Ohio, from Sio, Ohio. Okay, from <laughs> Sio, Ohio. Yeah. And she was able to make grits and she would pray with me every morning before I went mm-hmm. to school. And I, re- I never forgot that. It's amazing the things that you think about oh, yeah. as far as the lessons that your grandmother, especially our grandmothers, play such a, an amazing role. Those of you who have had, I'm fortunate to have your grandmothers that live, that, that, that you've been around, I'm sure you could tell amazing mm-hmm. stories like that. And uh, as I'm thinking about it, I'm also want to think about, you know, when you, when you decided that you were going to uh, go to, go to college, you, you ran in high school, you were a good athlete in high school, but you decided to go to University of Cincinnati and you didn't go there on a full ride. You went, you went on, you went as a walk on. I went on there to no ride. I had, I had a no ride. Had a I no had ride. Nothing. Right, okay. right. So right. we moved up to Cincinnati and I finished up high school there at Northwest high school. And I was, I was terrible at basketball. I, I tried twice. And the second time the experience was so bad that I just, I'm thankful that I was able to get up and see, you know, this is ridiculous for me to be sitting here. The top five or six guys were playing. The rest of us were scrubs. Sorry, no good. Weren't really working with us in high school there to try to help us get better. And I knew I'd run before. And I said, let me, let me go back to this running thing because at least it's me and whatever measure of talent I have. And I get a lane, right? And the coach wanted me to come back. So I did that. And but by the time I was a senior, I had been running okay. I was a 400-meter runner, but I didn't get anything. And one of my best friends, Doug Wiseman, I got a scholarship to, to, to Cincinnati. So he went down there. And I remember my dad saying, you know, it's like he just points. You ought to go down there and sign up for classes. And I always tell people when I'm talking, I'm so thankful that I listened to him that time, right? Yeah. That time, right? He said, you ought to go on down there. Okay. And so I did. And I signed up for classes. And Mark, I had no clue what I was doing. Mm. No clue. That campus to me was like, it was like foreign territory. Not because I didn't belong there, but I just didn't, there were so many things I didn't know about myself, what I right. really wanted to do. And the running thing, the sports thing was, was, was something that meant something to me. Right. But now I had no option to do that. Mm. So I walked around the campus for two years, but I used to go by his room. Dabney Hall had one level that was ground level. Mm-hmm. There was a sidewalk that passed right by his window. He was on the corner room and I'd stop by the, the uh, window and I, I knock on the door. He'd come and talk to me and he always encouraged me. And so finally in 1985, I decided I'd walk on the team. And so I walked on and my first race was a, the great Bearcat run around campus. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> you know, the coach, you know, I went to the office. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. He goes, here's a pair of shoes and all the hard work got started. So he tested me. And I think any of us who've been through something, when you make a decision, oftentimes it's a test coming right behind that decision. Yes. There's a test coming. Yes. And as you get older, you ought to know the test is coming. Yes. And you have to be already determined that you're going to pass the test. Yes. So he threw it on me, man. And I hung in there that first year. By the second year, I was, I was leading the workouts. I become a co-captain. And by the third year, we realized I had to come out of the 400 because I was getting chewed up everywhere I went. Right. And moved to the eight. Mm-hmm. And then he set this goal. He says, I think you can get to the NCAA meet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and become an All-American, which means to get to the meet, get to the finals, be in the top eight, and you'd be an All-American. And, let's, let's, and we're going to continue that. I just want to remind everyone, you're listening to the Dr. Mark Masterclass podcast on the eSports of Truturad Podcast Network, powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. We're here with Lewis Johnson discussing his time at University of Cincinnati running track. And, and, and it's fascinating because a lot of people don't understand if you're going to become an All-American running track, you have to finish in the top eight at the NCAA championships. Yep. And uh, you finished ninth. 
Okay. Finished ninth, yeah. Finished ninth. And, uh, and you became an All-American anyway. People are like, how did he become an All-American anyway? Because there's a young man named Van, Robin Van Helden. Robin Van Helden. Tell everybody about that story. Let me give you a fist bump because you did your homework too, baby. Absolutely. Homework Absolutely. is what it's Absolutely. all about. Much respect From Holland. That. Yes. That's right. From Holland. Yes. yes. So, yeah, I got in that final and I was running and, and finished ninth. And I was, I was crushed because initially because I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then the coach ran on the track. He goes, great job, great job. I'm like, what do you mean? I finished. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, you're gonna be you're gonna be an all-American. He goes, Robin Van Helden up there from I forget what school he was from. He he doesn't count. You're in there. You got it. You did it. You made it. You're an all you're an all-American from UC. It was unbelievable that to go from a walk-on to no yes. scholarship to walk-on to this in three years was was just amazing. And that step was uh was a big, big confidence boost. And then of course the next big vision was to qualify for the US Olympic trials in 88 in Indianapolis. That was the year when Flojo was out there running with the one legged Right, yes. there you go. Um <laughs> Carl, Jackie, it was, it was just, I was over there like, this is unbelievable. But I was there. I was there. So that was a major milestone. And that's what I encourage people all the time is, you know, again, I can't say it enough. We got to stop paying attention to everybody else's life mm -hmm. and look at yours. Yes. So when I look back and I said, my God, I came up here in high school, had all these bad experiences with basketball. And then I get back to track and field, no scholarship, walk on. And then three years later, I'm a captain and an All-American. That's crazy. But that means that anything is possible. Absolutely. I mean, when you say anything is possible, it reminds me of uh, Kevin Garnett when he won the, the championship. Anything is possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and, uh, and I don't think people understand that track and field, well, all sports, but, but being able to be a student athlete yep. while you're in school, being a student is tough, but being a student athlete is even tougher because now you've got to get up earlier than the average person. Right. You stay up later than the average person. And then now you have to perform in, in ways that the average person doesn't have to do. Yeah. But running track, oh my goodness, 800 meters is like a, it's an all-out sprint. It is a sprint. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So now you're running 800 meters, and now you're on a world stage. Now you're on Brussels. And what happens next? You, you get a chance to, someone gives you a call, or one of our famous friends that we know named Johnny Gray. Yeah. He's now asking you to come run with him. Johnny Gray, as many of you may or may not know, he was an American record holder. Until 2019, I think last November, his record was broken. Yeah. Uh, he ran 140, 140, under 142.5. Uh, the first American to go under 143. Yes, I know. That's my man. I got to know my history, bro. That's my best friend. <laughs> Look at you. So, yes, I got to know it. And, and it's really interesting because Lewis, again, he's learning this about me, that I'm a track and field. I don't even want to use the word junkie because that's a negative connotation. I'm a track and field connoisseur. That's a go. better word, okay? I've got my doctorate. I've got to use words that, that make sense and make and matter. And is empowering. And that's what I am. And so, yes. So Johnny Gray, the great Johnny Gray, four-time Olympian, yep. okay, silver medalist in Olympics. Yep. And he's been, he's coming to you now saying he'd like you to come run for Santa Monica Track Club. Yeah, so that happened over over in Europe. So it was a season of running and, you know, I've been around him and other people. And a lot of times I'm rabbiting these 800s and 1500s. I may be rabbiting for him or for somebody else in the race. And so was it toward the end of, I uh, forget, one of the seasons he said, listen, uh, I was talking to my coach and we would love to, for you to, join our team and come out to Santa Monica and train with us. And I was like, me? What? You're, the, you're, you're Johnny Gray, right? You're asking yeah. me that? It was yeah. shocking. So I thought about it. And I said, that's an unbelievable opportunity. I can't turn that down. So I go back home to Cincinnati. I had one quarter to go on my degree. And when I announced that I was leaving to go to L.A. to train, you could just imagine what happened, right? Did you get a spanking? No, I was too big, I was too <laughs> too big, big for that. I was, too fat, I was too fast for that. <laughs> but I did get an earful. And if my dad was sitting here right now, he would say, 
man, I thought you were junior. I thought you were crazy. He's like, just fin- just just finish up this degree, then you can go, right? Right. But today, to this day, man, we sit back now, we'll have a cigar and a glass of wine, and we laugh about these moments because he says, I respect so much the fact that you had a vision and that you weren't afraid to take a chance on yourself and you went out there and you made it work and look what came from all of that. And I think a lot of times with our kids, we have to, we have to at least listen to them yes. and try to honor those visions mm-hmm. because oftentimes people feel and believe things that we don't understand. And so then even out of love, we end up trying to convince them out of it. Yes. What, what right do we have to do that? Right. You know, right. you know, and, and of course was well, parents and one day you'll feel this, you're trying to hover and protect your kids I and mean, even more now than ever. Right. But you know, you have to be able to allow kids to have a vision and, and, and trust that they'll try. And you, of course you want to try to keep some guardrails or what have you. But anyway, I went out there, man, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle. I mean, the, the economy out there is crazy. I mean, everything from cost of living to gas to food, everything was just through the roof in California versus what I experienced. And then I was getting my behind whooped every day in track, in training. J- Johnny, it was, we never want to work out. Never. Did, did, that, did that hurt <clears throat> your confidence a little bit? No, no. Kept me hungry. You, you find out what you're all about pretty quick. Hmm. If you can't, and it wasn't like he's doing it maliciously. He's just a different level of talent. Right. Just a gazelle. Mm-hmm. beautiful, strong runner. We'd be out there on Santa, on Ocean Avenue. We'd meet there. We'd run down to the pier and back, and that would be the warm-up. And then we'd start going up Ocean, and we'd turn right and go up Montana, up into Brentwood. And I'm telling you, we'd have to run these intervals, 800 intervals, 800 meters easy, jog, 800 meters fresh. Mm-hmm. That was Merle McGee. His, and it, was, it was easy, fresh, good speed, and hard speed. Those are the different gears that we had yeah. to be in. So we might be having to run, you know, six 800s, after the warm up, and it'd be like one good, one fresh. You know, you, you, so you'd run the easy, then you want going good, which would be a pretty good clip. Then you slow down a jog a half, then one fresh, then going good. I mean, and Johnny was just, you weren't going to beat him. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to beat him. And same thing when we went to the track, Santa Monica City College, and which is where I ended up getting two stress fractures, ultimately why I left, because that track was so hard. But we would run these repeats on the track. We might run eight, nine, 10 miles of repeats. Mm-hmm. And he was just killing it. But that's why when we got to the tracks on Europe, he was just, he was just a beast, just a beast, but a great dude, you know, gentle heart, mm-hmm. just a great spirit, loved, loved life, loved people, mm-hmm. um, loved cars. Oh yeah. Yeah. He used to come up, pull up in a Jaguar. Every, I was like, man, I want to be like this dude right here. You yeah. Know? It was a beautiful Jag, but Johnny was, was a beast and he was well respected around the world. So I, I learned a lot in that, in that arena as I was doing that and then starting to dip my toes into TV. Now, let me ask you a question. You talked about your dad and, you know, giving you an earful. And then now looking back as you as being a parent, you know, did you ever experience that with, with your two boys where they told you they wanted to do something? Did you ever get frustrated with them the same way your dad might have got frustrated with you? Or did you learn that lesson that let me just give them some room and let them grow? Because you always tell me that you, you, yeah. you're, you're full of wisdom. And a lot of that is because of experiences. But do you feel that uh, your experiences have, have helped you be a better parent to your, your two sons? 100%. 100%. And I credit my father for so many things and the fact that he was really trying to get me to think, mm. have you really thought and evaluated what you're doing? Have you thought past the, the moment of the initial emotion of the idea? Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing. He wasn't trying to poo-poo my dream. He was trying to get me to articulate what I thought about or had I thought about it and how were these things going to work out? What kind of plan do you have in place? That's what he was getting at. So that's a difference between someone squashing your dream yes. and giving you advice. Yes, that's okay. right. That's right. And so I absolutely used all that. But our philosophy, especially with my wife being from overseas and me being from here, we just have a completely different mentality about life experience, you know, I guess you could say culture and just, you know, the way you, you deal with time and, and food and, 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 and conversation. But yeah, when they said they were interested in things, we, we, we made a move to get them around it. Mm. You know, we believed in getting them around it. 
put their feet on the ground, put their butt in the seat, get them around whatever it was. So early on, we were giving them experiences. Thankfully, some of those experiences were because of work, you know, taking them to the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002, going to Notre Dame, though, to the, the experience in Notre Dame weekend, because I was up there doing football with the NBC, which is just an unbelievable place. Great people, great philosophy, just mm-hmm. incredible. And then when the oldest one discovered fencing, I came back from the Athens games and he said he wanted to be a fencer. I'm like, where'd that mm-hmm. come from? He said, I saw it on the Olympics. It's not on the Olympics, daddy. I was like, okay. So we found a fencing club locally in, mm-hmm. in Grapevine and he took that thing twice and then he found a club and a coach and ultimately he went on through the fence through high school and then went up to Ohio State and was a part of their team as a non-scholarship athlete, but he was on the team for a couple of years and then he took his concentration to art. And same with the youngest one. He discovered, I thought he was going to be, I thought he was going to be my track guy, Lucas. Yeah. And then he was in the kit in the, in the cafeteria one day at school and saw these people walking out with costumes and stuff. He goes, what are y'all doing? They were like theater. He went back and experienced it, came back, said, I'm, I'm going to be auditioning for these two plays, was cast in both. And his whole life went just like that. Wow. So within, within six, eight months, we went to New York. I took him to New York. I said, let's go. Theater, you're interested in theater? You, you've been telling me about all these plays and all this. Let's go. And we went right to New York and we went right down to Broadway. Wow. And I put his behind in the seat and we did it multiple times. And sometimes I'd take him with me when I was going to work. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I got some time, let's go. I'm done with the show, let's go. We go and we sit. And I would watch him watch the plays. He wasn't sitting there like some enamored, you know, a uh, kid who was excited, but he was studying, mm. studying what was going on. And then when the play was over, we'd get up and we'd leave and run down around to the actor's exit and he'd, you know, get the autographs and the pictures, building that dream, baby. And I would tell any parent, if any kid articulates something they're interested in, get them around it. Don't worry about how it's going to mm-hmm. work out or not going to work out. Don't figure all that out yet. Just get them around it. Right. And we began to do that. And that kid came through high school and we ended up taking a gap year because he was about to run out the door and do what everybody else was doing. I said, wait a minute. You've, you've discovered a big dream here. So we need to do some things differently. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, let's pull back. Let's evaluate the scene here in terms of schools, where you might want to be, not want to be. Mm-hmm. Let's get some more work done on your dancing, your acting, your singing. And then let's audition at the right place and see what happens. And we did that. And ultimately, he, uh, we chose Roosevelt University in Chicago. Okay. And he graduated right here at the end of the pandemic with honors as a theater major. And now is pursuing to be an actor. He's an actor. He's been, oh. he been an actor since he came out. Since well, he came out the womb. But <laughs> he's going to get paid for it at some point. Did you see that when he was younger? Even though you wanted yes, to be in track? Yes, yes, yes. You yes, saw yeah. him? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a performer. Okay. Uh, but, you know, a kid who I couldn't get to read a book in, in middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. Now he loves Shakespeare. Wow. Reads it all the time. Wow. Had me helping him over the pandemic with a, with a Shakespearean, like three or four pages he was doing for some Shakespeare theater in Chicago, an audition, doing these recording. Them. So I'm actually having to read the offlines for him. And you could just imagine how I'm messing up. Thou is though thee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you know, that, that's what it's all about, man. It, it's about trying to help them find their dreams. And we're going to be doing the same thing. You do it. Mm-hmm. With what you're doing is Dr. Mark. The students know you as that. And hopefully I do it in my arena. In and your master classes, what you're about to do. Yeah, yes. I can't wait. And, yes. and I'm appreciating your help on that because I think it's a great concept, a master class. That, that's a great way to be able to compartmentalize yes. what you've experienced and learn and give it to people, not over 10 weeks, but maybe in a matter of four, five or six hours. Absolutely. Right? But we, we talked about this. A lot of people, if those of you are listening right now, many of us, and again, I'm, I'm guilty of it. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm guilty of, you know, working for someone and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a a noble thing to do to work for someone, to have a job and to have to be employed. But it's also interesting that you've obtained these amazing skill sets that people like. 
he see over here, you my man's gonna put on his cologne over here. So he's got, so I gotta, you know, put a little, dab, little, dab a little bit of mine it's on. Got, it well. That's not a little bit, man. You yeah. gonna blow me out of here? No, 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 no. <laughs> but he can't, he can't smell it anyway because he's got his, his nose is stopped up a little yeah. bit, you know, because the allergies. Texas going, allergies. Texas allergies. But you know, but the thing about it is, so usually in the podcast studio, it just smells like podcast studio. Right. We got this place smelling, you know, yeah, you know, looking, yeah. smelling nice, smelling right, yeah. and so. So the deal is a lot of people, you gain all this um, perspective, you gain all this knowledge and nothing that's great, but don't be afraid to take that knowledge that you have and, and, and share it with someone and you become the master at it. Because if you're good at something, I'm sorry, if you're great at something and great at your craft, you now become a master at it. So why yep. not have a master class? Yep. I came up with the concept because I was watching this woman named Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Yes, yeah, you heard of her. Yeah. It was a little, a little bit, of, a little bit of success. And Oprah, she said, you know, she was doing this master class, and she and she would have all sorts of people on there talking about their professions. And I remember going to the University of Florida. I was 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 fortunate and and blessed to have the opportunity to be a visiting scholar there and their communications department. And they asked me to teach a course for six hours. I said, what am I going to talk about in six hours? I'll watch an Oprah. I'm going to do a master class. And, it, and, the, and the master class, it was born in 2018 in the fall. And that's when I started saying everything that I do now is going to be branded a master class. But before we go further, I just want to also remind everybody you're, you're listening to the Dr. Mark's master class podcast on the Esports Future Eye podcast network powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. But before we go further, I know uh, um, we talked a little bit about your son doing fencing. So I got to give a shout out to Donald Anthony, who was the president of USA Fencing, a dear friend of mine, one of the first African-Americans to be a fencer. He went to Princeton, a dear friend. I spent a lot of time with him. Isn't when I was he the head coach at Ohio State? Yes, at the Ohio State. The, the, yes. Right, exactly. So Julian, my, my, my oldest son who fenced there, uh, had a great experience with his coach up there. Nazlibov, I think was his name, Russian guy, just a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. But he did mention that this the gentleman now is now the head coach over yes. at The Ohio State University. And we talked about reading, reading fundamental. So why did I know this? I didn't just read this anywhere. I just happened to know it. And what happens is because I'm friends with this gentleman. But the, the point is that if, when you read and you, you travel and you get to know people, you have so much more to talk about mm -hmm. always. And when we were talking about Broadway, I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. So I used to go to, to the theater all the time. My first play that I saw was The Wiz with Stephanie Mills in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, I thought that was going to be my wife. Little me <laughs> at, at seven, eight years old, right? Right. And, and one of the things, if you if you go into theaters, is a place called TKTS on Broadway. Yep. So if you can't afford to buy the tickets, you go to TKTS and you can get your tickets for a, a minimal minimal price. Or if you go to the show and you wait for the, the wait for the beginning of the show to start, you can get your tickets for hardly anything. Yeah, no so shows. Like, people can show up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People don't know that. Yeah. So uh, let's go. Let's go backwards here. You talked about when you went before you went to uh, Santa Monica. Coach McGee, he signed you, and you had one semester left, like you talked about, right? Yeah. You like that I did my homework. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like love that. that. Right? I love that. So uh, you have one semester left, and then you had you didn't you didn't get the money like most people got the sponsorship. So you drove limos part-time, right? Man, I did everything part-time. So it was myself, and I had a, a great experience living with a couple of guys from Switzerland. One, one was from Zurich, and then another guy from Lichtenstein. Lich Lichtenstein, right, yeah. exactly. And uh, Wolfgang was from Lichtenstein, and Philippe, uh, Philippe Bondi was from, from, from Zurich. Mm. And it was another guy named Stefan Josen who was also Swiss, another great friend. But we were training and living together, man, just trying to make it. Three people staying in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, yet at one point, I was driving limos. And I was working for a couple of guys that were down by LAX. And I remember going down one night to, to do a trip for, the, for a Friday night. You know, somebody's going to go out and party. And they said, Louis, I want to show you something. We have this new phone. So, but I need to show you how it works. And I need you to make sure, please, that you take care of it. Because we, we paid a lot of money for this. 
And it was one of those original Motorola, you know, phones that was in the box, you know, yes. it had like the leather case. <laughs> yes. And they were freaking out about this phone because they paid some money and we're going to actually have a phone in the limo. Wow. And they wanted me to promote it to the guests because that way they might run that credit card, you know, and, and, and they'd make some more money, not just off the run, but off the usage of the phone. So, but they must have told me 10 times, please. It told me more about taking care of the phone than they did the car. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that was, that was something, but I had a lot of crazy, not crazy nights after driving limos on Fridays and Saturday nights, people getting oiled up, acting crazy, doing whatever in the back. I had a guy one night uh, up in Hollywood who had, I think he had gotten some kind of a settlement off of a heel injury. He was still on one, one crutch. And this guy, you know, just kind of got more and more lit as the night went on. And he kept running the windows up and down the partition and, was blasting the music and all this kind of stuff. And finally we came out of this club and up on Hollywood Boulevard and he got it. He, he got in and he slammed the door, you know, and then he cranked the music up and I'm like, that's it. Mm. That's it. This had been going on for like three hours. <laughs> so I have a little kill switch back behind my seat mm -hmm. and I hit the kill switch and I put him in the black. Oh my goodness. Shut it down. <laughs> so we pulled out of the, we pulled out of the uh, driveway and he's like, turn this stuff back on. I'm like, I'm not turning anything on. I said, that's it. So he goes, let me out, let me out. I'm like, this guy's crazy. So I pull over mm -hmm. and I, I get out of my car. I said, get out. <laughs> so he opens up the back door, comes out with his crutch. Mm -hmm. This is along the, the driver's side right. and starts coming at me with, with the, the crutch. crutch. Wow. I'm like, please don't do that. Please, I sir, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Stop. He's coming at me with the crutch. Now I'm sitting here thinking, I'm out here with these guys with this car right. trying to make some money. Right. I got this expensive phone. You're coming at me with this crutch and I'm going to Europe in two weeks to compete. I am not interested in getting any, any kind of fight. Right. Right. And getting hurt and I can't go make my money. Right. So he's coming at me with a crutch. I'm slapping the crutch down. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> he goes back around the backside of the car. Mark, I'm not kidding you. He takes the crutch and he swipes at that, that Delta antenna. That's like a TV antenna. Oh my goodness. He ripped that off. Then he ripped off the uh, antennas from the, uh, that, that go up and down for the radio. He gouged the Landau <laughs> top. He went berserk. Wow. And people in the traffic had stopped on the street. I said, please, somebody call the police. And they finally showed up. He had ran off and they found him. They got him, brought him back because he couldn't get too far. He had a bad foot. Oh, my goodness. And turns out he had gotten some kind of settlement, you know, had a bunch of money and was just out going crazy. And I will never forget. So when I took the car back that night to those guys in LA, I called him. I said, listen, I got a uh, Amir, I got to tell you. I said, there was, there was a situation. And I, I'm so sorry about this. Right. And when they saw the car, they were sick. Where's the phone? I said, the phone's right here. <laughs> they care about the phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, and then, you know, two weeks later, I was on the plane going, going to Europe. I mean, but it was crazy. But I was, we were doing, I was doing those things to make money to try to live. Wow. You know, that and eating, you know, CeCe's pizza and fried chicken a couple of days a week. I mean, you know, eight ninety nine. We were doing whatever it took to, to make it. But we had a dream, man. And I was going to get my training in and I was going to get my ticket, TWA, yeah. and go LAX, JFK, <laughs> JFK, Milan, get off the train in Milan, and get, on the, uh, get off the plane, and get on the train and then ride to some city and get off the train and go to the hotel and two hours later go to the track and make, you know, however much we were going to make the run. We didn't care. Wow. We didn't care. We're going to make it happen. And I wasn't going to let some drunk dude on Hollywood Boulevard tearing up a limo stop me from getting there. With a crutch. With a crutch. It's like Biggie said, you're trying to make some money to feed my daughter. You didn't have a daughter back then. <laughs> exactly. <No. laughs> so you, you, this is a, you, see, this is a story I, I never heard before. Obviously, a lot of people didn't hear that story before. I'm sure he's got many more of those. But he said he was in a limousine. So now if you're acting a fool in a limousine, guys, here's a kill switch. Right. Okay? That's know it. that. That's but it. you cannot walk around That's with it. crutches and running after the driver. They could use the kill switch. So act, be responsible when you're in a limousine, please. And let me people. tell you something else. Don't get out of a limousine or you an Uber or a Lyft and don't tip. Unless Ooh. you've driven one, unless you've Ooh. driven one, you don't understand what it means for somebody to get out and you don't, don't do that. 
Oh, okay, tell everybody what, what what a good tip is. What what an average tip and what a good tip well, is. Well, I mean, I think it's just like if you're at a table. The uh, the the suggested amount 15%. is what fifteen percent, right? right? And if somebody's done a great job, give them twenty percent. I mean, you know, right? And if you're getting in a if you're in a lift or who I I use I use lift most of the time, mm -hmm. and you know you got I put fifteen percent, you know, whatever, and I give them all five stars. I've gotten in cars where it hadn't been the nicest, sir. What I always give people five stars. Mm. Why not? Why wow. not? Why not? Because maybe they know they're not giving you the best and the guy gave me five stars anyway. Maybe you might, maybe that just might do something. Then the flip side of that is if you give somebody one star, no stars, no tip, they, they got all your information, know where you live or whatever. So you got to think about that side too, right? Right, right, right. right. But uh, yeah, I always give people five stars and I always give a tip. You got to do something horrendous yes. for me not to put a tip on <laughs> it, right? Jesus, yes. Right, right. Absolutely. I just don't believe you do that. So tip people, if you, unless you've been in a situation where you're working for tips, uh, you may not understand it, but, but I remember that. And it's interesting because you, you, you're, since I've known you and I watch, when I watch you on TV, you, you think you know someone, you really don't, but you, but your demeanor is always pleasant. And then when I met you, it was, it's very kind. When I came here last time, let me tell you guys, okay, I'm not saying he's going to do this with you, but when I came here last time, about a couple of weeks ago, my man took me everywhere, took me to barbecue, took me to meet the family, took me everywhere. He showed me the sights and he didn't have to. And then he had the audacity to drive me to the airport. I'm like, no, no, he drove me to the airport. So, of course, when he comes down to Florida, I got to take care of my brother. Right. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I find fascinating about relationships and how you talk to people, mm -hmm. I, I read this quote the other day. It says, you know, it, when, when we water plants, right, we do that to make them grow and develop. So imagine if we did the same thing to people. Right. We were kind to people. Right. Just imagine where right, we would be. Right. And, and right now we're in such a polarized situation. But, you know, I think at some point you have to take responsibility for your own choices, decision, decisions, and your actions. And, uh, again, I go back to, to what happens at home, and I think it all starts right there. Uh, that's where it started for me. And in our house, I mean, we, we always, I, I instructed the boys early. I said, when you meet somebody, the first thing out of your mouth is, how are you today? Mm. You put the first foot forward. How are you doing today? And, and, and you'd be amazed at how many people go, oh, well, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Folks walk up. Where's my seat? I mm -hmm. want to change my seat. How much does this cost? What is that? They don't even acknowledge the human being standing over there next to them, right? Mm -hmm. Always start with, how are you doing today? How's it going? On the phone. Hey, how, how are you doing today? Okay, great. And then we get into our questions. Just acknowledge somebody's humanity. Right. The fact that they're there and they exist. And, if, and, and, and look, sometimes just by doing that, you know, it may show favor, but that's not the, that's not the point. It's just to acknowledge the other human being. And then they acknowledge you back. And now you started at least on the right foot. And I also think there's another very important and subtle, but very important thing to that. So often, I think people are walking around looking for a problem. You look, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just know that they're looking for something. They're looking for confirmation that you don't like me and, or, or there's <laughs> something up or, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, folks are tripping right now. And so this and that. So you are going to find that if that's what you're looking for, it's coming your way. Right. But if you put the first foot forward, now you have done, you have been, you, you're on offense. Right. How are you today? And if they choose not to respond, you go, I did my thing. Right. But when you stand back and wait for somebody and they don't acknowledge you or say the right thing, it's like, see, see, <laughs> yeah. well, that's what you were waiting for. Exactly. So you got to learn how to play these, these, I you could call them mental games or whatever to, so that you win. Mm. But it's also helping the other person win by acknowledging their humanity, that they're, that they're there. Mm. But you also then don't put yourself in a position where you're waiting for somebody to do something against you. It's crazy. But at the same time, I think it makes sense. Acknowledge somebody, ask them how they're doing. That's the way to start, in my opinion. I, I agree. I mean, and, and listen, I mean, we're dropping major jewels here. <laughs> I was funny listening to uh, the, the podcast that you did with me. 
and I'm listening to it and you acknowledge it, you're dropping jewels, we're dropping jewels. Yeah. And my, my alma mater, the alumni office, the director of alumni, she said, Mark, I listened to that podcast, the president of Florida Memorial, Dr. Oh, really? he, they listened to it. They're like, we've never knew that about you. Mm. Oh, and thank you for, for acknowledging us, you know? And it wasn't about me just acknowledging them because I was trying to give a shout out. I was, I was really acknowledging my journey. And what, right. I, and, I, and a lot of times we acknowledge our journey. We never talk about, a lot of people don't talk about the people that did things for them. Right. 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 You didn't do it by yourself. That's right. You, you had help along right. the way. That's right. And uh, one of the things that I find fascinating about you is that and a lot of people don't know, even though you fly everywhere, you're a big fan of, of, of flying. When you were uh, with Santa Monica Tri Club, you worked for the FBO. I mean, you were refueling small planes and then you love tr your plane so much. You would actually go to the airport, get your cookies and orange juice, and lay back on the hood and just watch the planes go that's by. It. That's what, it. What is that's that's pretty dope. That's it. I mean, I I, I remember in high school getting a brochure from Embry Riddle Aviation School yeah, down in Florida, Daytona, right? Daytona, yeah. Daytona, okay. Daytona, yep. And I didn't really speak to anybody about that, but it, I I bet if the right person, the right person that said something to me, I probably would have been a pilot because I was really interested in that. But it didn't go that way. But I've always loved airplanes. I'm enamored by airplanes. I love flying. I love, I love the, the jets that you're flying of you going overseas. I mean, you know, I've looked 787, 777s, the 747s. I mean, all that stuff is amazing to me. The A380 is just ridiculous. I, I flew that thing from Washington, Dulles to London a few years ago. And it's just crazy. It's something that big can get off the ground. Mm. But I've always loved flying. And uh, right when I was living in Los Angeles, one of those odd jobs I had was at the Santa Monica airport working for that FBO, the flight-based operation, and I was refueling the small training planes and what have you. So mm -hmm. I had the fuel truck and I'd go out there and ground it to the ground and get up on the wing and put in, you know, 80 gallons of 100 low lead into this plane, what have you. And then every now and then I'd drive around to the other side, the corporate aviation side, I look at all those G5s and Hawkers and Falcons and, you know, and, and all these just, lo I love that. I love that. So if I could do something right now mm -hmm. in aviation, it would be to have an aviation show that maybe we look behind the scenes at the lifestyles of, of being a corporate pilot, what have you, which would also cause you to have to fly and go somewhere and right. have these experiences. You're listening uh, to this, Jacob. <laughs> You're listening to this. We need a show like this, Eric. Yeah, there's a guy named Sam Chewy who was on, who was all over YouTube all the time. He does an incredible job. And then the other thing would be maybe to, man, I don't know if I really want to buckle down to get my pilot's license, but I mean, for me to be able to sit into the in the cockpit of a G5 or a Falcon, the Falcon Dissel, the three-engine. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. These are just unbelievable air, unbelievable corporate jets. When you fly, do you get a chance to, do you ever get a chance to get in a cockpit? Sometimes they let you in the front when you, when you're back in the day, back in the day. But now, now there's no chance you're going to be up there. We had, we actually had a great experience. My son and I, Lucas, my dream spot, my spot that I love the most on the track circuit was Monte Carlo. We went to Monaco and it was, it was like, this is the spot right here. I mean, this little small principality with this right there on the Mediterranean with all these beautiful everything. Everything is beautiful, right? Oh, yeah. And they've got the stadium, Stade louis Du, which is right there on the Mediterranean where we'd go and run the meet. And they had this incredible uh, 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 after party. Prince, Prince Monaco was there. He was all, uh, he just, just, this is incredible stuff. And so I took both of my boys to that spot when they turned 16, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So uh, Julian went first and Lucas went second. So when Lucas and I were leaving, we had taken the helicopter down to, from Nice to Monaco and then back and we got back to, to Nice to fly back to Paris. We were flying in a standby situation and all the seats were full. And so the captain brought us on the plane and had a stand in the galley. And he was says, okay, viens, viens, entrez, s'il vous plaît. We were like, we were like, oh, go in where? He's like, là, entrez, s'il vous plaît. He was like, come in the cockpit. We're like, wait, what? So 
we walk in the cockpit of this Airbus A320, whatever it was, and he put Lucas against the window behind him. Mm-hmm. And then I was in that middle seat that pulled out right, right behind the, uh, the controls and stuff. Right. And we were literally sitting behind the cockpit and we flew, took off out of Nice and flew back to Paris. We both looked at each other like, nah, this ain't happening. <laughs> this is not happening. That's crazy. So, you know, that was my only experience. And I've had a couple of experiences in uh, simulators with some of the bigger planes, which is really, really cool. But I've always, always loved aviation. So that love of, of travel goes went right with the track and field. Mm-hmm. And then the transition into television, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I love all that stuff. Love it all. Well, you know, you know, we're going to have to bring you back because we're running out of time. We're going to have to bring you back. It's my excuse to not talk about your career so that we can, <laughs> so we can bring you back. Even though we're now colleagues, I, I want to make sure we bring this brother yeah. back. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I know I had a, I had a good time. And I'm like, man, I could talk to this brother for another two or three hours because we haven't even begun talking about fashion and, and, and all, all sorts of other things. But I've had a great time today. This is my second podcast, believe it or not, my friends. Critique, brother. You, you're That's the amazing. teacher. No, your second one, period? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, I know this about you, Mark. You, you, are, you have a passion for life. You have a passion for people. And all that that you have experienced in your life coming from when you started to all the things you've been through up and down, it's, it's all going to come to fruition in this, in this format. But the thing I love about it that I've learned to love is that most of my experiences have been like one minute, two minutes, you know, you know these post-race <laughs> or post-game interviews, you know, tell right. me about the shot, you know, how do you, you know, all this stuff. This is a chance to really experience the talk and the great. You're going to be great at it. You already you. are. So just be you and you're, you're doing that. And, and I hope that everybody will continue to follow Dr. Mark's masterclass because I'm going to be a masterclass student of his. Okay? Oh, see, see, now, see, when you have somebody that you admire say that about you, we, I mean, you, you got, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When I was working for, for Foot Action, I went to the first ever Michael Jordan party at the All-Star Weekend. And uh, Larry Miller, who's a pres- former president of the, of the Jordan brand, yep. uh, it was myself and Larry Miller and Michael Jordan. And uh, Larry Miller introduced me to Michael Jordan. I had already met him several years earlier from uh, one of my dear fraternity brothers, Stuart Scott. Mm. So four years later, after I met him, when I, I met him in grad school, when I was at UMass Amherst, Jordan sees me now four years later. And he introduced me to him. And I and Jordan, he said, yeah, Mark's the guy, the guy that did the, the, the deal with uh, Eve at Foot Action. Mm-hmm. He said, you did that deal? That was a good deal, man. You did your thing. I mean, all, that's all Michael Jordan had to say. 2001, he told me I did my thing. This is the marketing genius at this time. Yep. He'd already, he had already retired twice already by that time. And when you have someone that you admire say that you did a great job, I mean, you, of course you're going to be confident. So I appreciate the good words, brother. Thank you for coming on the show and blessing me and blessing our audience. You've been listening to Dr. Mark's uh, Masterclass Podcast on the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network, powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. Thank you to Aaron, Sia, Jacob. AJ, Jacob, brother, thank you so much again. And remember, my friends, you cannot control anybody but yourself. You can control three things, what you think, what you do, and what you say. And with that said, I look forward to talking to you again in another great episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass. Peace. My man. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.